0: Las Vegas. It's more than just a city. It's a feeling. It's that feeling of excitement when you spot the lights of the strip out the airplane window. It's that feeling of awe as you stroll down the boulevard, taking in the sights and sounds. And it's that feeling of satisfaction, knowing that you're in the greatest city in the world. Over 42 million people from around the world share that feeling every year. And I'm one of them. Taking you to the world famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is Jeff Does Vegas. Welcome to episode number 143 of Jeff Does Vegas. Before we get into this episode of the podcast, I just want to thank my guest from the last episode, Dr. Joseph Fitzanakis, a professor of intelligence and security studies at Coastal Carolina University. Dr. Fitzanakis joined me to talk about the most famous classified military installation in the world, Area 51, as well as the not-so-secret secret airline hiding in plain sight at Harry Reed International Airport in Las Vegas, Janet Airlines. If you haven't listened as of yet, jump into the archives at jeffdoesvegas.com or search out episode number 142, Classified, Area 51, and Janet Airlines. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I always love having other Vegas fanatics on the podcast to chat about the latest goings-on in Sin City. Back in spring of 2021, I was joined on the show by Adam Bauer, a.k.a. Travel Fanboy. We talked about some of the big changes that were coming to Las Vegas, including the sale of the Cosmo to MGM, the sale of the Mirage to Hard Rock and the impending rebranding of Bally's to Horseshoe. A year has now passed, and all of those changes are complete or underway. So I thought it might be fun to reconnect with Adam and share our thoughts on those various projects, as well as some of the upcoming openings and big events along the Vegas Strip. Please enjoy my conversation with Adam Bauer, aka Travel Fanboy. Welcome back to the podcast, my friend. It was this time last year that um, you were here with me and we were having a conversation uh, talking about some of the the recently announced changes that were going to be uh, coming to Las Vegas uh, over the next uh, year or so. Here we are in the future now, and uh, I thought it might be fun for us to, uh, to get back together and have another discussion about the impact that those changes have had.
1: That's right. There's probably a lot to think about now. It's going through quite a quite a transformation last year or so, two years even.
0: Let's start off with the cosmopolitan. Um last year when we spoke, uh it had the sale had been announced from uh the, the over to MGM. Um nothing had really started as of yet. Uh flash forward a year later here we are the sale is finalized the transition has begun. On your most recent trip to Vegas, did you notice any differences, any major differences now that MGM is essentially running the property?
1: No, no major changes. Certainly not, uh, you know, surface level changes. You know, I think the one big thing that people are are upset about is the drink ticket change. So now they do the um, red light, green light uh, system on the video poker bars, uh, where prior to they did the drink tickets when Drink tickets first launched at Cosmo. People were upset by it. Mm -hmm. Uh, They felt uh, it was going to be a little bit limiting. Then they kind of took to it because they were spitting those tickets out uh, fairly frequently if you were playing at a decent clip and people found that you could combine these drink tickets for really, you know, know, top shelf drinks. And, and it was actually a a pretty good system. It was a very generous system in my opinion for the players. That's a good thing. And uh, you know, so it's funny, interesting to see that, you know, when it, they first came out with this system, people were complaining. Now they're taking it away. People are complaining again. Um, And I was just there. And I think, I think employees, are still getting kind of used to that specific change. I think every time I asked what the comp policy was, someone had a different answer, and that that's true not just of Cosmo. That's true pretty much anywhere that you go in Las Vegas, uh, you're going to get different answers based on who you're asking at the particular time. But you know that that's kind of one big change in the community that I follow in Vegas uh, that that people notice. But I didn't find it. Uh, Really too limiting. They're still making good drinks there uh, at Chandelier. It's a sexy bar, and uh, you know beyond that, I really didn't notice any changes. You know they still don't have that rollover yet, where the the um, players cards or the players uh, clubs aren't. You know it, it's not MGM yet. They're still using identity, um, and right now there's no chance to you know move points back and forth or kind of change that over. So actually, when I was at Cosmo, I didn't even play with my card because I you know I don't know when my next trip is going to be, and it just wasn't worth it to me to stand in line and get a new one uh but you know Cosmo's still still kicking and I'm I'm eager to see if MGM touches it at all I mean it's got a good formula going on there so
0: we'll see yeah much like yourself this last trip here in January I took a wander through the Cosmo just to to see um if there was any difference or or anything had really changed. And other than a few bits of advertising here and there, um, stating that it was now an MGM property, uh, I really didn't notice anything. As you say, the really curious thing to watch will be how they handle their identity rewards members in the rollover and the changeover um, from identity to MGM rewards. I can only assume that they're going to have to, Um, move people appropriately so that they stay at the appropriate tier level based on their history uh, with the cosmopolitan
1: yeah and that's a finicky thing right because you want to make sure that you're not upsetting especially some of those those big players that have been at cosmo for a long time to me it's it's a welcome change because i'm fairly well entrenched in the mgm system so i like the idea of maybe you know using points at, at cosmo or at least getting rewarded uh kind of a bit more efficiently for my time that I've spent at Cosmo because I would spend a lot of time there on previous trips, but wasn't building up many, you know, comps or or true value there in their program because I was kind of spreading myself a little bit thin. Uh so that's nice. But I, I think overall this was a smart move from MGM. It was it was a pricey transaction, but you know, they've got in my opinion, the, the rooms there have the best view in Vegas and MGM's kind of stealing that view back from from Cosmo and BlackRock, uh, you know, over the Bellagio fountains there. So I think it was it was really smart for them to kind of consolidate there. And I know we're gonna talk about Mirage in a little bit. And uh, you know, them consolidating those properties center strip was
0: uh I think pretty savvy on their part. Is there anything you think MGM could do to make Cosmo an even better property? You know, I don't know if they have to do anything right now. Like I said, I, I
1: think for a lot of people it's the the sexiest, coolest casino on the Strip. It's not the most luxury, and, and that's fine. They know exactly what they're doing and who they are. I think the big thing is going to be, and this is something that MGM has to really be concentrating on. I actually talked to my buddy Han about this recently, is especially for their top-tier properties, making sure those rooms are in good working order. They're not getting dirty. They're not... Um, they're not in disrepair because you are starting to see that a little bit. Cosmos, it's getting older. I mean, it looks new on the casino floor, but those, those rooms are aging a bit. And so you started to see that a little bit at Bellagio. You started to see that a little bit at Aria, which again is now becoming, you know, not geriatric, but an older property, um, making sure that those rooms are are up to date. Uh, they're still feeling fresh because you want that experience from check-in to casino to match what's going on in the rooms as as well, especially when you've got those really cool balconies, too. You don't you don't want anything to take away from that, that full on Cosmo
0: experience. It's a fair point about the state of the rooms. I know when my wife and I stayed at the Cosmo uh, a year ago, um, I mean, it was an amazing experience and and it wrecked us for every other hotel in Vegas because it was a beautiful suite and a beautiful property. And I mean, as you say, you can't beat that view off of the terrace at the Cosmo, the Bellagio Fountains and up the Strip. I mean, it, it's gorgeous, but we did notice things in the room that. You could tell it just needs a bit of a refresh. It was things like peeling wallpaper and the odd weird little stain on the carpet and uh, the toilet, the the flapper inside the toilet tank didn't seal properly. So it had a slow leak. And over the course of, um, you know, every couple of hours or so, the toilet would run for five or 10 seconds at a time, not massive problems. But when you're spending the amount of money on a room that it costs to stay at the Cosmo, you want. The absolute best experience that you can possibly have,
1: yeah, no, absolutely, and I noticed that on my last trip to Bellagio, too, I was in a a halfway renovated room where the bathroom wasn't renovated, but the the main living area was, and I was starting to see that with the bathroom too, where it was just things are getting kind of calcified, and you know the caulk is worn out and it's like this is not a true Bellagio experience from start to finish, which I think is a luxury property you want to have. And I think you and I are in the same boat. Where I'm, I'm less forgiving on a property that's more expensive. Or it's a higher tier level, and so we want to make sure that that MGM, because we like these properties, that they're uh, they're doing right by their customers and making sure, like I said, that experience carries through completely.
0: Speaking of changes within the MGM world, last year when you and I spoke. It was shortly after the announcement that MGM was selling off the Mirage to the Hard Rock folks, which um, was a sale that kind of came out of left field for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the rumor mill actually had the Cosmopolitan being bought up by Hard Rock, if I'm not mistaken. Um, But regardless, uh, once that sale was announced, uh, I think, as per usual, people fear change. And there was this concern that... It's gonna be instantly wrecked when Hard Rock takes over this classic Vegas property, the Mirage and uh, people were worried about construction and people were worried about closures and shutdowns um I had a chance to wander through the Mirage on this last trip and and see what was going on and I noticed basically no changes at all as of yet
1: yeah I mean these are big ships you got to turn right and there's a there's a lot that goes into Land development in Las Vegas, and you don't want to rush it. I'm I'm very eager to see what they do with that casino and with the resort as it stands. I think it's a beautiful resort. There's facets of it that I don't want touched at all. Uh, say like the that little atrium in there. It's just a very it's got that tropical, really cool, welcoming uh, vibe to it. It's a very simple casino to walk around in, which I tend to enjoy as well. Um, and yeah, you're right. There's there's really not much to say about changes that have happened because beyond just changing MGM rewards to unity at their players club, it's, you know, it's, it's steady as she goes for
0: now. The unity rewards program to me is a bit of an interesting beast. And here's why I kind of hoped or thought that they might try to do something to attract people into the property, being that they are the new kid on the block, so to speak, they're a standalone on the Vegas strip. I was kind of hoping they might try to do something to bring people in. and And here's my my thought process on that. Um, I am a a super low roller with MGM. I hardly gamble there at all. And even with that level, I still get comps at the MGM properties. Um my last stay at the Mirage back in July, I, I stayed there for two nights, and both of those nights were uh, were comp nights. I created a Unity Rewards membership. I logged in. I checked the rooms midweek for a basic king room. Those rooms are still topping out at a hundred bucks a night plus. I don't know how I feel about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel like, you know, as they do that transition too, as we were just talking about with MGM and Cosmo, I think that full transition is it's gonna take some time. They are right now, I know. Uh, tier matching. So if you have status with MGM or really any of the the local properties in in Las Vegas, they will tier match you to a relative or um what they feel is an equal tier within Unity Rewards. So for example, I have MGM Gold. They matched me to their Icon status, which is their second highest status. And on top of that, they gave me $100 in um, resort credit. I ended up not using it. I just naturally wasn't down in that area of the strip anymore. You know, and, you know, it, it's a great offer, though. I've seen people use it. They've gone to a steakhouse, they've gotten some cocktails, uh, what have you. So I think they're, I think they're kind of testing the appetite right now for it, what it's going to be. Um, but yeah, I I don't know when the idea of kind of comps and, you know, the redemptions and that aspect is really going to kind of come to fruition, if you will. Because um, I don't even know, like I said, I I imagine the, the actual resort is going to stay the same as it is now, the Mirage and, and all those rooms. And they're just going to add the Guitar Hotel or are they going to, I have no idea. <laughs> are they going to tear some of that stuff down? Or are they going to renovate? I, um, I'm i not sure. So like I said, it's it's confusing and exciting all at the same time.
0: My understanding was that they were going to be doing some pretty serious renovations inside the casino area, particularly to try to raise the height of that ceiling mirage is one of those casinos right now that has got such a low ceiling, which I'm sure doesn't help with things like ventilation and, and um, atmosphere of the resort itself. One of the things that I'm kind of hoping for is that they dig up all that rock and roll memorabilia and music memorabilia from the old hard rock, which is now virgin. All that stuff has gone away into storage somewhere. I'd like to see all that stuff showing up, in the new hard rock to add uh, a bit of a cool factor to the resort and, and add to that whole uh, rock and roll experience. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. That's an interesting idea. And to me, what's compelling is they're, their program is called unity, but they don't have a lot of unity within their properties. I just mean like design wise. That's why I have no idea what it's going to look like. Right. They've got, they've got a casino in Tulsa. They've got, you know, they've got a casino in Indiana that they just uh, purchased. And really some of them, which they've labeled hard rock tend to look the same and have the same vibe. I like the hard rock in Atlantic city. I think it's kind of cool. it really kind of leans into that rock and roll atmosphere. But then others are are not like that at all, at least from what the Seminole tribes are running. So it's, I, I'm going to be interested to see how it shakes out. I mean, I feel like they're going to lean into it a bit, especially if they're building a guitar hotel, but
0: you know, uh, who knows? We'll see how far they take things. Let's talk about the aforementioned guitar hotel tower. When this thing was announced, um, when the sale was announced and they, they put pictures up with this guitar hotel tower on, on the front of the property, this upset a lot of people. There are people that are very, very upset, very angry that the Mirage volcano is is going to be going away and you know what i get it um i understand this attachment to what i guess is now considered uh vintage vegas but at the same time a guitar shaped hotel tower right on the las vegas strip this this could look really freaking cool
1: i mean that's it right i think a guitar hotel is like peak vegas if you want like almost kitschy ostentatious ridiculous design like yeah a giant guitar hotel kind of fits the bill if you will yeah and i get you know it's a it's a win property it really kind of set off kind of some new staging las vegas of hey here's what we can do and here's how we can make people feel you've got this free attraction the dolphin show and and there was really something to that And i think a lot of people are holding on to that but you know there have been some changes in vegas that that have really worked well and um i'm like I said, I'm excited for this one. I'm, I'm not attached to the Volcano Show. I can't remember the last time I made a, you know an actual purpose to go down and visit it. So I, I welcome our, our new guitar hotel on this trip.
0: And one of the more subtle changes that we talked about the last time you and I connected on the podcast um, was the switch over from Bally's to Horseshoe. Uh, this is, uh, not a sale. It's, it's not a a big, a big move. It's really just a a rebranding of a property. This is now underway, um, Interior wise, I think it's pretty much finished inside the casino. I think that's all complete and done exterior wise. They're still working on the marquee out front. Um, they finally have, uh, the horseshoe signage up on the side of the building. They still have some, some painting that they need to be doing. Um, I had a chance to wander through, take a little bit of a look on my last trip, not much noticeably different again, other than some aesthetics. Uh, what about yourself? Did you get a chance to, uh, to go through horseshoe? I
1: did, yeah. It it definitely seemed like it freshened it up a bit. I think the room still needs some love. They've got some cool rooms. They have some some very affordable kind of fun suites in there. So I think that would be a nice next step. But I think the brand as a horseshoe makes sense to be in the Las Vegas Strip. I think you know the the Bally's name and everything that's going on with like the Bally's acquisitions and Tropicana. Like just it became a mess, and so I think rebranding it as horseshoe makes it a a lot cleaner of a brand uh it's a gambling brand especially with them bringing the world series of poker in there as well um and and bally's sorry i'm I'm referring to bally's horseshoe um but you know bally's before was always to me kind of a a neat little casino it had multiple levels to it you know um kind of similar to kind of old caesars that old caesars pit where you kind of walk in and i kind of like that they've got some they do some cool features they're their main uh, casino bar is really cool. So I, I think it's overall a good thing. And it was, I think, if you ask me to pick out one hotel in the Strip that needed a power wash the most, it was going to be Bali. So um, good on them for for getting that done and getting the paint up.
0: I'm pretty sure that they had done some relatively significant renovations on the rooms, at least in the resort tower. I'm not sure about the Jubilee Tower, but um, I know that they had done some pretty big renovations and upgrades in those rooms because I've stayed in those rooms and, and they're... They're very fresh and very clean and look really good. So it'll be nice if they can get onto, uh, onto the other tower and get those rooms updated as well. Um, the really big question, though, is are people even going to notice the change? And uh, hearkening back to my radio days, um, I worked for a radio station in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada that started off as K-97 and became K-Rock. And then flipped back over to K97. And I mean, I'm talking, there was a very long time period in there of of I want to say almost 10 years where they were K-Rock but between being K ninety seven and being K97 again. And people didn't even notice the change. There were people that had no idea the radio station had ever been K-Rock. So I wonder if if this property is going to um suffer the same fate if you will will people even notice that it is rebranded as horseshoe
1: i i doubt the casual visitor is going to notice or even care right and i didn't care that much i i don't think as many people are attached to the Bally's name as they are to the mirage volcano so i think uh, it's a nice clean change like i said i think it matches up really well with the uh, world series of poker being held there now so i think give it a couple of years and and no one's uh going to confuse it too much anymore and i think to me bally's died when they removed that really cool entrance uh, right off the strip there with the the the, the circular, the, hat or the horseshoe entrance they almost had uh, when they were going in with the neon.
0: It's funny that you bring that up because just uh, earlier today, I was uh, on Facebook and in one of the vintage Vegas Facebook groups that I'm a part of, somebody had posted um, an aerial photo of of Bally's in the late 1990s, I think it was. And yeah, it was that whole front area that had the um, the moving sidewalk through the the circular uh, semicircles or whatever it was, um, which took you to the escalator, which is still there, that goes up to the the pedestrian bridge across to the main casino. Um, and it had uh, fountains and gardens. And it was such a, a great... Um, it was such a great spot on the strip. It just, it was so, it was so neat to see. It was so cool. Um, let's talk about uh, some of the the new stuff that's coming to Las Vegas, particularly the world of sports and the impact that that this is starting to have on on the city and on the strip. You've got two really big events coming up within the next twelve months. First off, you've got Formula One that's coming up in November, so we're talking eight nine months away from that um and of course you've got the super bowl coming to Allegiant stadium in uh, in a year we've just begun officially the countdown for that they're talking i mean this is massive revenue that's going to be rolling into the city over the next 12 months we're talking like a billion plus dollars for formula one alone what kind of impact do you think that this is going to have on the city of las vegas
1: yeah i mean i I think that number is pretty accurate. It might even be higher than that. I have a, a relative who works in hospitality in Arizona. And they said the Super Bowl that just did gangbusters for them. Um, you know, you couldn't rent a car. You could not get a hotel room. Um, they're happy that everybody left. Uh, and so on that note, I think the locals are going to be a little bit peeved. And some of them really are. I, I was talking to a few on this past trip who are, I think they're they're worried about um, very practical concerns, uh, just for their day to day, especially if they're working in the industry, they're trying to get to work on the strip or okay. God forbid, if they, you know, if they work on the west side of town, but they've got to get across Las Vegas Boulevard, to the east side of town somewhere, it's going to be nearly impossible. But there's some really interesting things that uh, a few people brought up, which is the, the greenery on the Las Vegas Boulevard, which they're going to have to pull up, uh, for this track to come in, namely the palm trees. a lot of them were worried about what that's going to do just visually to to Las Vegas, the, the impact that it's going to have. Um, They don't want to see some of these like kind of beautiful sight lines go. Um, But in terms of economic impact, I I think it's great for the city. I think it, it makes it a a brand new, different type of entertainment hub. It had always had the shows. Um, It was kind of a, they had some Broadway light shows. They had some kind of risque shows, comedy, all that you name it but they're they're bringing in a different type of entertainment, which is I think giving more people a, an excuse to go to Las Vegas. You don't need a reason. you only need an excuse, right? Um, but it's also really appeasing some of the locals for some of the you know the the sporting events that are local, right the the Raiders um and um the Golden Knights, which the locals have really taken to. They haven't had a major sports team before. and so it's it's really cool for them, and it's really great to see them um, like I said rally around that as well. so it's it's a pretty dynamic thing. um I think. F1 is going to be the most disruptive for everything they have to do, but there's still going to be some challenges with the Super Bowl. Um, a lot of people, uh, locals are worried about parking and just what that's going to do to the area. Um, so it'll be really compelling to watch, especially Formula One. I know you and I are both fans of that.
0: The concerns about the greenery was something that I, I really hadn't even thought of until this last trip when I had a chance to, to walk along the front of the Bellagio Fountains and see how big those trees are along Las Vegas Boulevard right by the Bellagio Fountains where they are planning on on building a, a huge grandstand. So uh, I'm assuming they're going to have to take those trees out in order to be able to put that grandstand in and and have it function properly. Um, but you're right. This, this has got the potential. Formula One has got the potential to be possibly the most disruptive event that the Las Vegas Strip has ever seen. I mean, there have been events that, have closed the strip down before whether it's the rock and roll marathon or New Year's Eve or um the NFL draft things like that Super Bowl I'm sure is going to have some some events that close the strip down but I mean this is going to be a complete closure of one of the busiest stretches of road not just in the United States but in the world for multiple days on end um and never mind the fact that you're looking at months of construction leading up to the event between resurfacing the actual track route to installing barricades and barriers and fencing and grandstands and signage, um, all of that stuff that has to be done, it's going to be an absolute nightmare. And I've already said, looking ahead to my my trips towards the end of this year, I'm not going to go anywhere near the city from around the middle of October until probably the end of November.
1: Yeah. And I mean, like, like once that track is built and ready for race conditions, they're not opening it back up the traffic. These are, like I said, it's, and it's not even just a weekend, right? Where you think of like the Super Bowl, it's, it's an enclosed space and it's one day. I mean, they have multiple events, you know, even if you're just talking only the Formula One specific race, you've got Thursday, Friday practices, Saturday qualifying, and then Sunday, the race, but you have also multiple events that are going on, uh, you know, different um what do I want to call them? Uh not circuits, but uh different types of races that are going on throughout that that four or five day stretch there. So it's uh yeah, it's gonna be quite disruptive there. And uh, I will not go the first time, that's for sure. One because we have a, a baby due, and I don't think leaving my wife with two kids is, you know, gonna earn me any points. But uh also uh it's just going to be a, a mess there it's going to be a fantastic mess i think it's going to be the most compelling track on the circuit visually i think singapore is a really cool looking track as well with the the background of singapore there but uh, it's it's going to be a sight to behold in, in more ways than one
0: i i have uh, i have tossed around the words um shit show yep. and clusterfuck
1: i was trying to be polite but yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: to to describe it and i've had so many friends that have said are you gonna go? Hell to the no! There, there's, yeah, I mean, n- not a hope, not a hope in mean, hell.
1: I went to the one in Austin this year, or this past year, in twenty twenty two in October, and that's way out in the boonies, right, well away from the city limits, and just the sea of people that were there. And I, I remember seeing, I'm like, I cannot imagine even a quarter of this many people trying to get around the Las Vegas Strip. No matter, not even if, talking about you know actual traffic. I'm just thinking foot traffic of getting around. Granted. They can all kind of go back into their hotels, but still, I mean, it's going to be a jam packed weekend. Uh, and I know room rates are already expected to be um, just completely uh, off the
0: board. Do you think big events like Formula One, like Super Bowl, things like that, to a certain degree, do you think they maybe will chase people away from the city or keep people away from Las Vegas? Well,
1: I think what's going to happen is people who maybe would have otherwise gone that weekend, just aren't going to go. But I think for spectacles like this, listen, uh, however you want to feel about this, there's more than enough people out there with the money to go those weekends who want to go. And so it's going to be jam packed. So I think it's going to be people like you and me who might otherwise be fans of the that, but don't want to spend 10 grand on a room who are going to end up staying home. But to me, there's no other city in the country that's more relevant to host a Super Bowl and it's accompanying Post parties afterwards. I'm sure the the winning team of next year's Super Bowl is going to have an absolute blast. Uh, with the exception of the MVP, who might have to skirt off to Disneyland really quick. But other than that, <laughs> I think uh, I think the the winning teams could be well received in Las Vegas next year.
0: That's for sure. From a a purely selfish standpoint, the question that I have to ask is: Are these events? big events as more and more of them are starting to come to Las Vegas more often sports or otherwise, are they starting to kill things for the low rollers like you and I, I mean, I I used to do seven, eight trips a year to Vegas. And now I I'm looking at it going, I can't do that many because these, these events are driving up the room
1: rates. (laughs) Right. I mean, and it's good for Vegas, but you're right. I mean, and you got it, you know, before it was just, all right, make sure you're not in town for, um, C2E and World of Concrete, right? Those big conventions that are going on. But other than that, you're like, yeah, you, you'll be okay. But you're right. Like what's, what major event is happening? What major concert is going on? Or, you know, and, and sometimes it happens too. We're like, why are roommates in the Northern Strip so crazy right now? It's like, oh, there's a convention. Why are roommates around Park MGM nuts? Like, oh, you know, who, George Strait is playing, you know, at, uh, at T-Mobile, right? And so you got to kind of navigate that now. But as these massive events start coming in, yeah, it's, it's going to be a challenge. And you're right low rollers are are really taking the hit right now and uh you know what's good for one might uh, be difficult for the other overall i think it's it's a boon for the city i like the people who work there and they deserve uh a lot of the experiences that they're getting um and you know the increase in jobs uh, and, and a bustling economy but yeah it does make it challenging as a visitor that's for sure
0: and again as i say this is it's it's purely from a a selfish point of view because like yourself I'm happy to see Vegas back. I've got a lot of friends in the city who work very, very hard and depend on, on tourism to be able to do their jobs. And after two years of of lockdowns and restricted travel and and decreased revenue, it's great to see um, visitor volumes back up to almost pre-pandemic levels. And it's great to see the casinos making a billion dollars a month in in gambling revenue. I love seeing that. But at the same time, as a person who used to go to Vegas seven or eight times a year and loves his thirty five dollars a night rooms, to not be able to get that is a little bit frustrating.
1: It is. And you know one thing that I noticed, and we i don't we didn't really plan on talking about this too much, but I think there are some properties that are really struggling to figure out what are we doing here? What are we offering? What should our table limits be? And to me, it's really a lot of the mid tier and even kind of upper lower tier. Uh, properties that are really struggling to figure out what can we offer, what's going to get people in the door. I think you know the wind, Bellagio, Aria, Cosmo, not much has changed for them in terms of who they think their consumer base is, what table minimums are going to charge. But I, I do see some struggling where it's, I, for instance, I walked into Flamingo at 10 a.m. on a Friday morning, and they were offering $25 craps with nobody playing. And to me, I'm like, guys, this isn't you. Um, I appreciate the effort. Vegas is back, so to speak. But this is going to be empty all day. Uh, maybe you'll get one or two at the night. I and, mean, you know, I take a 15 minute walk to Cosmo and they're still offering 15 at that same time. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, as much as we struggle to figure out, okay, what does Vegas look like for me? I think some of these properties are still trying to figure out what are we doing here? What, what are we offering? You know, the, the our customers, are we pricing things appropriate? And they're really trying to figure out where they can go right now because everything's moved up. It's just about how far up can some of these, uh, These lower tier properties uh, take advantage of, if you will.
0: And I think that leads to the question of how far can Vegas push? before people start to push back. There's lots of complaints floating around. You've seen it on social media, I've seen it on social media, people talking about um, significant increases in costs of hotels and meals and ride share, things like that, or um, increases in resort fees or the addition of parking fees where parking fees never used to be a thing in certain places. We're in such a a delicate balance right now in the economy where things are tight, people are still willing to go out and spend, but how long before Vegas pushes and people say, "Mm, no, you know what, too much, I'm done. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that's what everyone's trying to figure out right now. Right. And I think a lot of people are still getting back into the swing of things, really, you know, they've got some still, I hate this phrase, pent up demand, if you will. But I think people are still eager to get out, especially with kind of the work from home economy taking hold. People are more eager to go work somewhere else. Right. And so people work from Vegas. Um, people are, like I said, just just more willing to take some of these trips. And, and you know, this may seem a, a bit unfair or not, but Vegas and, and big corporations are paying more for things as well. So inflation has ignored them or they're not uh, not feeling the effects of that. Now, whether or not it's fair to say that their margins should always be the same, um, you know, should they give a little bit back to to the customers? That's probably an argument for a different day. Um, and, and to some extent, I would say that, yeah, there's some of these places, Flamingo, namely possibly Excalibur from what I know is that really need to kind of rein it in a little bit. Like, Hey, you're, you're getting out over your skis a bit. I don't think you realize who your customers are. Um, cause I saw some, some quite empty tables for some quite high prices, but, uh, yeah, I think things will kind of shake out. Um,
0: you know, as, as they tend to do, but, uh, we'll see. Yeah. I don't feel like people are going to Flamingo for $25 tables. It was, I mean, it was the
1: weirdest. So I was playing on a shoot to win craps machine. I put this on uh, Twitter, actually. It's That's one of those digital craps tables. You see, I throw actual dice, but you've got like a little screen in front of you and everything's computerized. There's just one stick man that's kind of overseeing everything. And the live table next to me really wasn't live. They had dealers there, but no one was playing. It was 25. And he kept trying to get me to play it. I go, listen, you make it 15. I'll play it because that's what the digital table was. It was our, The digital table was full. Uh, and he refused essentially he said, Hey, listen, man, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to do it. That's not going to bring me that much more value to play at that table. Like this is just a gimmick. I'm having fun. I'm not going to be here that long, but um, yeah, it's uh, I imagine that the table was empty for a long time, as I said, because I walked to Bellagio soon after that Cosmo soon after that Bellagio was 25. Why am I going to play at Flamingo at 25 when I could sit in beautiful Bellagio and play for 25, unless mm-hmm. I'm really entrenched in Caesars and I need to earn those points. But I mean, come on
0: yeah nobody needs the points that badly (laughs) seriously (laughs) after the break adam and i discuss what's to come in the next year or so in las vegas including the opening of a cool new live music venue and a resort that's been over a decade in the making that's next on jeff does vegas Let's get into some of the predictions and pontifications about what's going to happen in Las Vegas over the next year or so. Uh, it's always a lot of fun kind of having these discussions and speculating on what we think may occur in the city. Um, we'll start with a project that has been in the works for a uh, uh, a very long time. It's going to be the oldest, newest hotel ever. I think construction started well over a decade ago. It sat empty for the better part of a decade. Um, Considered to be an eyesore by many at the, the North end of the Vegas strip, the big blue building, people would see it and wonder what the heck is that? Uh, It is the fountain blue and it is now apparently scheduled for an opening late 2023. They're saying, Um, what do you think? Is it, is it actually going to happen? Uh,
1: I th- all signs are pointing to yes. I will be beautifully wrong in this prediction that I made last year that said I didn't think in any way, shape, or form it was going to be ready. But it, it seems like all signs point to yes on this one, despite what I thought was going to be some, probably some serious work they had to do to get it ready, not just from a design perspective, but just getting what was a lifeless, deteriorating building. As I saw it, maybe it wasn't as bad as I imagined it was, um, but getting bringing that back to life. And I think- as we talk about what Vegas is now, how the pricing is, it could be opening at a perfect time for itself. um, If visitors are still coming, if Vegas is still comfortable offering kind of higher prices, higher room rates, because that's going to be a luxury hotel. You're not going to have a hotel that big. And um, with that, uh, it's kind of manifesting itself in in, in a way that kind of screams luxury. Um, So it's going to be, a really cool thing to see, one, if it is built, because it's going to continue to breathe life into the north end of the Strip, which has been lacking for a long time. Um, But with Wynn over there, you know, the Palazzo Venetian, I'm kind of stretching a bit, but with Resorts World as well, which I have come to really enjoy, um, That I think it's going to move a lot of visitors to the north if if they've got the money for it.
0: I am still in the, I'll believe it when I see it, camp. (laughs) Sure. Just based on so many things that have happened with that property. I mean, that property has... Certainly. I mean, it seems snake bit from the start. I mean, it got hit with recession and then it got hit with COVID and then it's been sold and bought and moved around and refinanced and billions of dollars poured into financing for it. And with interest Mm -hmm. rates going through the roof and, and again, just on the, the precipice of a recession, as they keep telling everybody, you know, I mean, again, like Vegas doesn't seem to have felt that. And it's got a lot of that pent up demand and people are still traveling but will that pent-up demand be exhausted by the end of 2023 when this property is supposed to be opening? Right. It's just, again, I'm still in the I'll believe it when I see it camp just based on how long it has taken for this property (laughs) to get to this stage. And like yourself, I looked at it and went, there's no way that this thing can still be structurally good after sitting for that length of time and not having any work done on it, I mean, I guess they must have been inspecting it and keeping an eye on it to a certain degree while it was sitting.
1: Yeah, I mean that that's a good point, and that's something that I'm completely ignorant to, and I probably wasn't thinking about. I mean, someone was had physically owned that property, so it would make sense that 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 would be the case. Uh, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's I think it's gonna be 13 years old uh, when it opens, and like I said, man, if they could get that thing ready for Formula One, that would they would be opening with a bang. I'm I don't know if that's. The timeline that they're working with um, but all the renderings i see make it like i said look very nice and and the north strip is is coming back in a big way if, if that thing can get open in a timely manner because there's there's a lot of good things happening over there
0: yeah it, it would definitely be nice to see uh some growth and development on that end of las vegas boulevard because really i don't even necessarily consider um circus circus the strat the sahara that whole end of Las Vegas Boulevard to be part of quote unquote the strip because it's just so disconnected from everything that's going on all, all the action on the South end of Las Vegas Boulevard, South from that corner where, where the wind and fashion show mall is um, really, as I say, like I don't even necessarily consider those properties to be, Uh, part of the strip so some growth at that end to help kind of fill the gaps would would be would be great to see
1: yeah and i mean if you think of that physical area i mean for a while it's just Win and circus circus if you want to just talk that very close vicinity there so having resorts World newly built getting fountain blue in there it's also going to benefit sahara i think as well Uh, maybe not so much the strat but It's not that much farther from Zahara. It's across the street. It just feels like a long way. Um, But I think uh, all those properties will continue to benefit from from that development.
0: Let's talk about MSG Sphere. This is uh, a very cool project that's been in the works for a while, um, slated for a 2023 opening, late 2023 opening. Um, The F1 track is actually going to loop around MSG Sphere, uh, the Sphere is going to be used, that area is going to be used as the general admission area for the uh, the Formula One race in November. Uh, we just found out U2 is going to be opening the venue. They're going to be the first ones to perform in there. Um, interesting choice. I see both sides of it. U2 haven't really been all that relevant for the last few years. However, having seen you two in concert before and knowing what they can do as far as the the visual and technological aspects of their shows, um, the Sphere makes sense for them. I think it's going to be a, a very cool venue for them. Um, your thoughts on the MSG Sphere as a as a new music or new performance venue in Las Vegas?
1: You know, it, it it's so unique and kind of goofy enough that it seems like it will. I do wonder if we get a point of just oversaturation of, of live music venues. I mean, you have virtually every large resort on the Strip, um, every three to four tier property above has their own live music venue, bringing big names. I mean, even just Park MGM has Bruno Mars, uh, you know, playing um, multiple nights a week. They'll bring in Lady Gaga as well. So it's uh, I'm. I keep saying this. I'm interested to see what happened. I don't want anything to fail. That's why I keep using that phrase. I'm eager to see what's going to happen. Um, I I don't know who they could bring in on a consistent basis that's going to continue to use it. Like, I'm going to take your word that U2 does some compelling things with their shows. I've never seen them. I was forced to listen to them like 10 years ago because I had an iPhone. Uh, that's <laughs> kind of, you know... Beyond that, I don't have too much of a background of, of YouTube music. I mean, I know their hits and stuff, but um, yeah, I mean, that's that's a space that deserves an artist to come in there and really do something compelling and creative with their work. There's probably a handful in the artists uh, in the world that I know of that would probably be up to that task, but the others just kind of want to get on stage, perform, you know, uh, get their yearly nut and then get out of there. Uh, so it's a, uh, yeah, that's one, I think you have more background in, in kind of the music world than I do to to kind of harp on this a bit.
0: Well, speaking further to your point about um, saturation within the Las Vegas market of live performance venues, I think it's different if you've got um, smaller, quote unquote, smaller venues at the, the individual properties, places like, um, Dolby live at park MGM that holds like 6,000 people or Zappos theater at, at planet Hollywood that again is around that, that five or 6,000 person mark, um, or even the Coliseum at Caesar's palace, which again is around that five or 6,000 person mark. In my mind, that's different from building multiple venues capable of holding, um, 15, 16, 17,000 people like you've got. The MSG Sphere is is over 17,000 people. T-Mobile Arena is up around 18,000 people. Allegiant Stadium, of course, is, is 60,000 people. There's word that we may see this basketball arena get built at the north end of the strip. That's probably going to be a, a 17,000 seat venue. So, uh, again, how long can Vegas support this many large-scale venues? There's, there's only so much entertainment Entertainment in the world and so much money in the world um, for people to be able to to come and support performances at this many venues.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's. I didn't even think of it that way. But as someone who's creative, not obviously musically talented and stuff, but if I'm going into a place like that, I would want to use it to you know the full breadth of of what it can do, and I would feel a bit. Almost like, how am I even going to use this space in a way that's going to give my fans kind of the show that they deserve? Because I've asked them to come out here, probably pay a high price because it's a it's a unique venue. Um, who's capable of putting on a show like that? You know, I think there's probably electronic artists that that would be up to that task, but they're not going to pull in the, the fifteen thousands. Um, you know, so
0: it's uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Everything that I've read about the MSG Sphere, it, it sounds absolutely amazing. I mean, and my understanding is the the um, the LED screens that are going to be inside the venue are going to be the the highest resolution and the the largest indoor LED screen in the world. Um, it, it, there's going to be tens of thousands of speakers inside the venue, so basically every single person sitting there is going to be experiencing um, surround sound. There's only so many artists in the world who are going to be able to utilize this this type of a venue to its fullest extent to be able to create the right type of experience for the audiences that will come and see them. And so again, it is going to be really interesting to see who's able to do it.
1: Yeah, it would be really cool to see who's up to the task for that. I mean, there there are artists out there that that can do it. And we, we could probably, if we had time, sit down, write a litany of artists that are popular enough and and creative enough to do something.
0: So it'll be uh, it'll be really cool to follow. Let's talk about food. Uh, one of my favorite subjects of all time, uh, particularly the rise of food halls and food courts. Yeah, There's been a lot of attention focused on this over the last little while. I've seen articles on um, Eater Vegas and stories in the Las Vegas Review Journal about this. And I noticed it a little bit before COVID and before shutdowns that things were starting to go in this direction. But even more so now, you've got food halls and food courts showing up in every property. I mean, Aria just opened a brand new food court um, downtown Fremont hotel, just opened a brand new food court as well. Um, the Cosmos got their food hall um, resorts world has their, their big food hall or food court. The famous food street eats um, park MGM has Italy. There's a new one. Apparently it's going to be opening at uh, the Durango resort being run by stations. Uh, what are, what are your thoughts on the rise of the food hall? I love it. I actually just wrote about it today. I knew we were having this conversation.
1: It's been on my mind. So like, well, let me put something out because I need to kind of gather my thoughts on it. But one, I will say I was completely wrong about Eataly at Park MGM. And the main reason I was wrong is because we have an Eataly in Chicago and I live in the Chicagoland area where my wife and I go there as much as we can. We love it. They've got a couple of really good restaurants in there. But in Chicago, it's like half the the top floor is half restaurants, half kind of, you know, um, shopping center if you will where you can get you know wine and all your italian accoutrement if you will olive oil all that stuff and the bottom half is uh, pretty much the same so i'm like and i think they started eataly at park with that kind of idea where you can come in do some like almost like faux grocery shopping if you grab some small bites and leave i'm like i don't know if that's going to work but they seem to have trans- transitioned into kind of a more food hall experience that's a that term is very fluid everyone kind of uses it differently but um i like what they've done with at, with the Eataly at Park MGM, I think it fits perfectly in there. I actually am welcoming the food hall experience, if you will. I'm not a buffet guy. I know the casinos don't like operating the buffets logistically. It's just not a good time for them. You know, In, in the past, decades prior, it was one of those loss leaders, right? We'll have this buffet. We'll get the people in here. They'll go gamble, whatever. But since then, in the last... 15 years or so, they became quite pricey. And it was hard to find a sub $50 buffet, if you will, on the strip. Um, But for me, it's someone who at times, especially during like lunchtime as, as a gambler, I like just going in and grabbing a quick bite and then going back out to eat and better still with some of these places. Like we're not talking about like Sparrow or Nathan's hot dogs, which is what you would find at like the Luxor Excalibur or, you know, any of these other places. These were like, this is like good food. I I love the one at resorts world. Like I think it's called famous foods. Um, I had an experience just on this recent trip where I was having some drinks at the bar, playing video poker, got hungry. I mean, it was less than 15 minutes for me to go leave the video poker bar grab a bite to eat, get back and play a different game. And I ended up getting a hand pay after that. So now I'm really attached. I'm like, they got me there quick <laughs> enough. So my timing was perfect and I hit the hand pay. Um, but that's neither here nor there. But I think for me, it works really well. I ate at Eataly twice for lunch on this, this uh, recent trip. Eataly is a bit pricier than uh, kind of more standard food halls, but they've got a good selection. And I think for gamblers, it's if you just want to go get something quick and you're not even leaving the casino floor, it's, it's a fantastic
0: option. Italy stresses me out. I I don't so know there's a lot of people in there. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of people. It just feels like a lot of chaos. It's a lot of choice. It's like I don't know if I I want to buy a steak or I want to buy a slice of pizza or a sandwich or a bottle of wine. Well, and all their employees are like walking around. I'm like I feel like the kitchens for Italy
1: like they're not in the same like the the kitchen for one restaurant's actually Serving another restaurant, like I feel like they do it on purpose because they're just walking around with yeah. food everywhere. Yeah, he's got to dodge them. It, it's
0: it stresses me out. I don't know. It's a just a, a high anxiety situation, but. I was a big fan of block 16 at the Cosmo when my wife and I stayed there um, last year, super handy to have that right downstairs to be able to just hop in the elevator, head downstairs and grab a quick bite when needs be. There were a couple of nights where we were uh, going out to a show and we didn't really want to go have a, a big sit down meal somewhere or even didn't necessarily have the time. I was able to just run downstairs and grab us a sandwich and, and a couple of drinks or whatever, bring them back up to the room. It was great for breakfast as well. There's an outstanding donut place, um, in that block 16 food hall. So I could head down and grab a donut or a cinnamon bun and a coffee for a, a, a light breakfast, which was, which was super handy to have that in the hotel. Um, but you're right when it comes to buffets pricey, holy mm-hmm. hell, I, I, several years ago, my wife and I did Bacchanel Buffet at um, at Caesars. Mm-hmm. And the only reason we did it was because I was diamond at Caesars at the time, and I had the $100 celebration dinner credit. Yeah. And so at that time, Bacchanel Buffet was like 50 bucks a person. So mm-hmm. I was only out a few bucks, basically the tip and a bit of extra cash. Right. But now Bacchanel what, 85 bucks a person for dinner? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's insanity to me. I, I would much rather go to um, a nice steakhouse or uh, a, a high-end restaurant and spend eighty-five dollars a person on a meal there than eighty-five bucks a person at a buffet where everything is basically mass-produced. And no, it's it's just the quality is not there. It's not eighty-five dollars per person. Uh, value in my mind, but it, it's it's been interesting to see the shift away from those buffets and the closure of the buffets at so many properties, and so few properties reopening their buffets and keeping them operating.
1: No, and I think they're they're keen to just get some some vendors in there and let these vendors kind of handle all the you know the the day to day of those things. And like I said, for for me who likes to find a cheap way to stay at luxury hotels. That was one of the big arguments or kind of my big complaints at some luxury hotels that they do not have any fast, casual dining at some of these hotels. Bellagio has one. It's called like Quick Bites or something. It's way in the corner and it's inconvenient and it's quite frankly not very good. It's what you would think a standard food court meal would be. And I think that's the counter argument I've been hearing a lot lately is I've got a food court at home or my mall has a food court. Completely fair point. But to me, this is not standard food court Dining uh, the the places at resorts, will, for instance, are fantastic. I think, like I said, at Italy, yeah, it's pricey, but you, it typically gets um, set pretty quickly, and it's it's quality food. And I, I mean that sincerely; like they're, they're they're really good meals. And you can have a quick light lunch and get right back out on the gaming table. Properties at Aria, you got to go up kind of their second floor level. It's it's not as convenient as the others; they just don't have the space for it. But again, multiple vendors in there. It seems like they're doing some some good quality stuff for you know, half the price or less than half the price of what you get at a buffet. But again, I don't indulge. I'm not a buffet person. So this speaks more to me. But I, I do understand that people who love buffets are are sad to see them go for sure. Uh,
0: before I let you run, Adam, I want to chat about what you've been up to as of late. Um, last time I had you on the podcast, you were working on putting together uh, something called Cheapskate Vegas cheapskate vegas is now live and uh up and available um what kind of stuff is up on the website for uh for people to check out
1: yeah i mean i think i've changed names more than your radio station did at some point (laughs) but i'm following a very similar trajectory where i'm back to talking about vegas but this is kind of a a rehash so i used to people who haven't followed my transitions i used to do Vegas fanboy was a site and it was all about kind of finding good, inexpensive options for people going to Las Vegas. And that's what cheapskate Vegas is in the same name. I will say I'm not a cheapskate. I try not to be. Um, I'm very much about value and kind of getting the most out of my money. However, you know, best value Vegas doesn't really kind of roll off the tongue. So I might be betraying myself with the name a little bit. Um, Only a handful of, of articles on the site right now where I'm still kind of building it up, but a lot of it's going to be about how can you have really cool experiences Um, even luxury experiences uh, with, with not a lot of money, kind of helping people navigate that, whether it's through like credit card reward programs, tier status matching, kind of those kinds of things, or it's just finding some really good inexpensive options that still exist, I think, you brought up at the beginning of the show where it feels like the nickel and diming has taken hold. And, and that's very true in certain aspects, but there's also some places that you can get some, some great deals, some great cocktails uh, still at the quarter video poker level, if you will. Um, there's some really cool, unique spots that you just kind of have to know about and you can still have a, a great kind of uh, upscale vacation uh,
0: on, a, on a modest budget. Excellent stuff. The site is at cheapskatevegas.com. And if people want to follow you on social media, where can they find you to do that?
1: They can follow me at travel Fanboy. I'm mostly on Twitter, making people angry or at CheapskateVegas. Vegas. That's just me when I post links to the site and stuff like that. But yeah, if you want to see the the show of me uh, needling people, that's at travel Fanboy.
0: It's very entertaining. I must say I, <laughs> not for everybody, <laughs> not for everybody, but it is for me. So <laughs>
1: And sometimes not for me either, where I, I do a little too much needling. I'm like, oh, I got to pull back a little bit.
0: Nah, no such thing. <laughs> Adam, thank you so much for taking time to uh, to jump on and have a chat. I really do appreciate it. And uh, best of luck with everything and uh, hope to catch you in Vegas again soon.
1: Thanks. I always enjoy myself. And maybe next year we'll, we'll come back on and we'll be proven wrong about everything that we talked about. Hopefully everything opens up. Every place as artists, you know, packing it to the brim. And uh, I look forward to that conversation
0: and that wraps up another episode of jeff does vegas if you've got feedback on this episode of the show or any other episode for that matter or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast please feel free to reach out to me via facebook twitter or instagram at jeff does vegas or drop me an email directly at jeff at jeff